You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. Hello, please let me see your ticket stubs for the double-edged double bill. Tonight, John Travolta can't teach old dogs to get shorty. Don't make me laugh. Ha, ha, ha. Each week, Adam Thomas and Thomas Mariani come to the table to discuss the randomly selected yin and yang of a double feature. Then, both will have to pick a number between 1 and 10 in order to seal their fates for the next episode. One will have two good movies, the other two bad ones. Let's get weird! I am Adam Thomas, and fuck you, Thomas Mariani. And I am the fucked Thomas Mariani, as, as you can tell. You know... For those who might be new, welcome to the Double Edge Double Bill. This episode has a bit of history to it, um, because um, every week in general, no, no matter what the topic, we have um, a randomly selected double feature. Uh, one of us has either two good movies or two bad movies, depending on which quality we switch off on. And uh, today, we are doing uh, the subject of an actor, which we've done before, um, but the actor in question is one Mr. Uh, John Travolta, and uh, Adam, you have a bit of uh, background with Mr. Travolta in terms of our very podcast. Long-time listeners will know that um, amongst your various uh, people that you're not a fan of who you have on a list, we haven't mentioned the list in a bit, uh, yeah. but um, Travolta is a numero uno on that list. Oh, yeah, he's tippity-top. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. I can't stand his fucking face. I don't like his chin. I don't like his pig name. I don't like his acting. I don't like anything about him. I can't fucking stand him. We should mention happy birthday. That's why we're doing this. The day we're releasing this will be Josh Walt's birthday. So happy birthday. <laughs> May the Lord make it his last. In this intro, I really do want to focus on this, Adam. Before we get to our two movies, which we'll talk yeah. about in a minute, where does this hatred come from? Where do, where does all of this sort of stem from? What is the origin point of the John Travolta hatred for you? You know what it is, man? He just comes across like he's got such a fucking huge ego for a mediocre talent. I, I never I do not think he's that good, but he just thinks he's the fucking man. He thinks he's so hot and sexy and so talented and everything else. I just, I just can't fucking stand him. I don't know. Oh, I mean, I, I literally can't put it into words. Like, let's put it this way. Back when I was a kid, mm-hmm. look who's talking. I thought he was awesome. I know it right. sounds crazy, but I liked him and look who's talking. I thought he was fun and ha ha ha. That was also the first time I probably saw him in anything was the look who's talking movies. Yes. Right. Pulp Fiction. Great. I'm not going to take anything away from that performance. It was awesome. Right. Then the garbage fire of shit that followed that and still continues to this day straight on straight-to-DVD releases, it's just unfucking believable That's something important to talk about, is just in terms sure. of his career trajectory. Because obviously started in like the mid-70s, uh, something like The Devil's Reign, very early appearance from yeah. him. Um, and also, of course, Welcome Back, Cotter was sort of like his big debut as like somewhat of a star his start in television there uh which i've seen a few episodes of just from like nick and night reruns and stuff like that then of course there's also like saturday night fever and the early brian de palma films like carrie and blowout yeah blow blowout's a good one that's one that i never think about either that is an underrated underseen gem of his i will give him that too he is tremendous in that movie then his career kind of tapers off in the 80s 
pretty hard. Mm-hmm. And then Quentin Tarantino does as he's wont to do. It was just like, oh, I love this guy from earlier movies, and he hasn't gotten a big movie to do in a while. I believe the film he did right before Pulp Fiction was The Look Who's Talking Now with the dogs. With the dogs, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, which was sort of like the low point there, initially. A point where we thought yeah. that was the lowest he could go, and he surpassed that later on. Um, but then Pulp Fiction came out, obviously nominated for an Oscar, his second time after Saturday Night Fever. People really went for him. And then there was that weird period from the mid to late 90s where he was really big shit. Because everyone was like, what's he going to do next? We're going to talk about one movie that was definitely during that particular era. And then we're going to talk about kind of what happened in the dawn of the new millennium where he was still in big movies, but it was mostly bullshit. And then as of the last decade, it's been a lot of sort of, uh, as we've talked about previously, like your, uh, the fanatics. Um, Mm -hmm. and we've also talked about battlefield earth. He's not unfamiliar to this podcast by any stretch. Um, not just because of your rantings and ravings and such. Uh, but you can even admit that he has been in a few other good movies, right? Besides some of the ones we may have mentioned or tonight's good feature. Sure. I mean, here and there, absolutely. He's popped up in some things where, you know, it's either a good movie or he might even turn in a good performance. It's just the bad so much outweighs the good in his case. I mean, there's so much just pure trash. The scandals and everything, too, you know, play into it as well. I mean, there's the Scientology stuff and some other things. Well, and the predatory. Yes, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're not denying that that's not on the table whatsoever yet. Uh, please go ahead before I, I, I could feel the ang- anger rising. Right. This always happens when you talk about John Travolta. For my own money, I'm not a fan of Travolta either necessarily. I think he's definitely a pretty good tool in the toolbox of a director, writer, if they know how to use him well enough. But I do agree that I think that ego kind of gets in the way of what works about him as an actor, which we'll definitely get into when we talk about our good feature, which will be first, which is Get Shorty from 1995, which was your pick, because that was another main reason we decided to do this, was because it fell in the sort of back-and-forth pattern for us, where you would end up doing the good pick, so I was really fascinated to have you on the spot to do a good pick for him. Um, and then for the bad pick, which was my pick, we have Old Dogs, uh, which I picked, and there's so much to talk about with both of these films. So let's go ahead and get right into it with our first film, Get Shorty. In a town known for fame, wealth, and glamour, one honest man has come to Hollywood to make a killing. My name's Chili Palmer. You make movies, huh? I produce feature motion pictures. I got an idea for a movie. Doesn't everybody? You must bring something heavy to the deal. I do. Me. John Travolta, Gene Hackman, Rene Russo, and Danny DeVito. Get Shorty. Fade out. So, uh, Get Shorty uh, came out in 1995, uh, October 20th, 1995, directed by Barry Sonnenfeld, who we've talked about previously, did uh, Men in Black, based on a novel by Elmore Leonard, and we talked about Jackie Brown previously. It's the story of John Travolta playing Chili Palmer, a sort of low-level mob guy in Miami, who his boss ends up uh, dying suddenly of a heart attack, and it prompts him to go to L.A. uh, to finish a job, but then he gets kind of swept up into the movie business. And so, uh, Adam, what makes this one stick out to you as, like, one of the rare, for you at least, uh, good Travolta performances. Uh, He's got so many good one-liners and stuff in this movie, and he does play it low-key. He's not too over the top in this one. It's just kind of a fun role for him, and he's he's genuinely kind of intimidating in certain scenes. It's a different sort of performance from him, and plus he's surrounded by just an amazing ensemble cast. I mean, one of my favorite ensemble casts ever. 
is in this and they're all giving it their all. So, I mean, it just, it stands out to me. I think it's a really cool take on not only the Hollywood movie industry, but also the mobster type lifestyle at the same time. Ever since I've known you, Adam, and your hatred of John Travolta in particular, it's the most I've ever thought about John Travolta in any context. Because I'm like, I do agree he has a mostly bad career, but I wonder what makes him work in certain roles. And even especially during this watch of Get Shorty, which I hadn't watched before, I was curious as to like, okay, what makes him work here that makes him not work in most of his other films? And I think I cracked it. In Travolta movies, he tends to play these guys who, um, at his best... These guys that are kind of impenetrable to some degree, whether it's because in like his early career they're kind of like feathered, very almost angelically beautiful dudes, or in the case of like this in Pulp Fiction, they're kind of like hired killers, tough guys. But Travolta, when used well, knows how to kind of creep in either some sort of really uh, soft likability or some kind of earnestness that makes you kind of break down his walls a bit more. And I think that's kind of been the trouble with some of his more recent movies that he kind of wants to play stoic badass type. Doesn't really want people to, like, penetrate and find, like, who that real person is inside of these two-dimensional characters. And here, I think Chili Palmer's a great example of that, where, despite being sort of like a, you know, a mob guy, a kind of enforcer, he has a real love of movies that's very genuine and sweet. Like, I think sort of the big scene that crystallizes that is when he goes to the screening of Touch of Evil, and Rene Russo, who plays sort of his love interest in the film, spies him just kind of quoting along with the movie and having a big, wide-eyed grin as he's just watching this classic movie and going along with the lines. Like, she has this look on her face of like, oh, he's kind of a dork, and it's kind of adorable in this way. This guy has can let his guard down a bit. Would you agree with that sentiment, with this chili especially? Oh, yeah, absolutely. He's a big-time movie nerd. He absolutely loves Gene Hackman and the cheesy B-movies and, you know, Danny DeVito's character and Martin Weir. He's just, he's so engrossed in the Hollywood, not necessarily lifestyle, but movies in general. He just wants to be involved in the movie business so much. And it's almost like you get the idea that him doing the mafia stuff, or not maybe not even mafia, but organized crime or whatever almost was a means to an end for him like the, he this was always going to be his passion or always his calling he, maybe he didn't realize it you know when we first find him in the movie but he's a tough guy like he's super tough people are scared of him but he's just a big kid when it comes to these like schlocky sci-fi and horror movies that you know well a film in general but especially the ones that uh, gene hackman's character produced or directed as basically like a, a roger corman-esque character yeah basically. which is so great i do i do love gene hackman like the whole cast i agree is phenomenal but i think with travolta especially um it's it's very much like he's kind of the tough guy persona is a persona it's it's definitely just like he he wants to put on the ears of just like hey look i'm a good fellow tough guy don't fuck with me or i'll fuck with you and he will but at the same time that demeanor like especially when you first see him like breaking to Gene Hackman's uh, house and stuff like that and the look on his face just like I got a movie pitch for you and all this other stuff it's him slowly letting his guard down a bit more and more as he kind of gets to know these people which I really dig seeing here and I I really enjoyed this movie a lot Um, I'd only seen the sequel prior to this Be Cool uh, which for the record I hadn't seen in a while I didn't rewatch it for this I rewatched some clips on YouTube before we recorded and I'm like oh this is worse than I remembered it's terrible 
awful movie full of, like, really dated jokes. Vince Vaughn's character alone is just, like, one of the worst fucking characters <laughs> I've ever seen in a fucking movie. Um, but I think what works here so well is that it doesn't feel as sort of, like, inside baseball Hollywood as much as it could be. It definitely does feel like Chili Palmer's a great outsider character to kind of break into, especially, like, what we're seeing is the meager, smaller parts of Hollywood. The closest we get, obviously, is Daniel DeVito as Martin Weir, which I'll say the movie has, like, its apex point when um, he and Rene Russo uh, go to visit the Martin Weir character to try and pitch him the movie. And I just love all the dynamics there. Like, even how giddy he is about seeing uh, Martin Weir's girlfriend, who he knew from his previous life, and uh, they kind of, like, have a giddy thing where it's like, oh my god, I can't believe it, this is so great! And they, like, w- walk into the mansion, and the whole thing, like, oh, how's Momo? He's dead, and all this other stuff. It's a re- so much fun there, and even Danny DeVito, of course, trying to be the titular shorty, and trying to actually act it. I, I just, there's so much great chemistry going on between all those characters. Just everything with Danny DeVito in this, though, where he orders that fucking horrible <laughs> or whatever. No, we'll just get one for the table. And then he leaves and doesn't pay for it, doesn't eat any of it. Like, he's just such a Hollywood elitist. Uh, and the way the minivan, the you know, catches on where at the end everybody's got a minivan. Uh, but no, my my favorite scene in the whole movie uh, is not even the one Travolta's in. It's Gene Hackman and Dennis Farina. Yes, who we haven't talked about. Dennis Farina plays his, his mob boss. Yeah, part Bodie. <laughs> He kills me in this, too. What is it with the smog in the city? Don't you... Actually, they say the smog is why we have such beautiful sunsets, Mr. Barboni. Is that what they fucking say? Bunch of fucking jerks. (laughs) (laughs) He thinks he's so tough. It's the best. It's it's a a perfect Dennis Farina-style role. It might be my favorite Dennis Farina performance, like, ever. We're just saying a lot. And admittingly, he always played the same kind of character, but perfectly. And I do agree, especially Gene Hackman, like, look, Barboni... You know what? You look at this and just beats the shit out of him in that office. In the, it's so good. Yeah, what he, you know, he's pointing the gun up at his crotch. Okay, let's stop messing around here. <laughs> you know, yeah, you must be one of the quick drawers. The way you got your gun tucked all the way down in your pants. <laughs> he's just, he's perfect. But no, I, I love their any scene they're in together. And I also do really like, uh, obviously, Delroy Lindo, who's a really good character actor. He's phenomenal in this film. I love him so much. But James Gandolfini, man. Oh, of course, yeah, James Gandolfini is his accomplice with the perfect awful ponytail. Like, the greasiest awful ponytail. <laughs> He's bare. The stuntman has been in like a ton of shitty movies. Oh, what movies have you been in? Oh, you wouldn't know them all. Well, come on, I know them. I know movies. Come on, I, that's the thing. Is like even during these like big sort of um, mob gangster kind of scenes, I like these characters almost connect in these weird ways. It's really cute. Even my favorite scene is probably the one where Delroy Lindo talks to John Travolta about just like, oh, how are you trying to get Martin Weird into your movie? I'm gonna put a gun to his head. Tell him to do the movie. He's gonna do it. And Delroy has this weird pause where he's just like, I wonder if that'll work. Like, he just uh-huh. has a weird curiosity uh-huh. about th- I love what he does in this movie because he has all of the genuine menace of the villain of your movie, but also is totally playing into the comedy perfectly. It's such a really hard balance to do, and Delroy does it perfectly in any of his scenes. He's absolutely fantastic in this movie. He also thinks he's a real big shot, but once you get the head of the Mexican gang cartel or whatever out there because he's looking for Yayo, which they killed, and then, you know, he's also scared of Chili Palmer. He's also intimidated by him. Like, he's not on the level that he wants to be. Like, he thinks he's this ultra-tough crime boss, or, you know, into these backwards deals and underhanded tactics, but when he's up against these real gangsters and these real criminals, like, he shits his pants. 
Like, he cannot compete with these guys. But, yeah, no, he's absolutely fantastic. And this, this might be one of my favorite Delroy Lindo performances, too. And he's been in a lot. No, yeah, and I especially like how this kind of feels like so many interesting points for these actors in terms of career. Like, this is... Mm-hmm. So I, sort of later Gene Hackman, he would be retiring in like about 10 years or so after this, but you see so much of like his um, great comedy performances in here, particularly you see like the very early germs of like a Royal Tenenbaum in this movie mm-hmm. um, with his comedic bits. And he has such like dedication. Like I love the fact that apparently uh, he was kind of nervous about taking the role and hadn't done that many comedies, but he was told just play it straight. And it'll be really funny, and it's absolutely true. He treats this particular sleazy kind of douchebag movie producer character with all the sincerity of, like, the conversation of the French Connection, and it's so much fucking funnier because of that. Even when, like, he's in a fucking giant brace after he's been horribly mutilated, and just the actual wincing pain that feels authentic is so fucking hilarious coming out of him. (laughs) Yeah, no, he he also reminds me like his performance in Heartbreakers too. I see a lot of that mm-hmm. here as well. But I mean, I, I think I've said it on the show before, but if I haven't, then I'll say it again. Gene Hackman is one of my all-time favorite actors as well. Uh, I mean, the guy, he could do anything. I mean, he was perfect. He could play the heavy. He could play the comedic role. He could play the father. He could play the real heavy. Like if you're looking at like Unforgiven or something like that, or even Quick and the Dead. Yeah, he's so funny. He's got that just dry sort of wit about his performance and everything. Or like even when he calls Barboni, you know, he's like, I'm the fucking guy who's going to tell you how it is. And he's talking super tough to him. But then when he hangs up, he's like, ooh, like rubbing his head like, oh, shit, I might have just fucked up. That's what I like about him, though, is the fact that it's not necessarily dry wit. It's just that he's playing this movie producer who's just like, I only know how to make schlocky movies, and then is tied up in this big mob boss thing, and has no idea how to deal with it, but also is just like, well, I have to make it look like I do, because I know how actors do this, so I can clearly know how to fucking do this, except he doesn't. I just love that. It's kind of like a producer trying to actually get in front of the camera and not knowing what to do. Like, even the bit where John Travolta's like, I'm gonna sit at your desk, don't acknowledge me at all, and the moment they come in, just like, this is Chili Potter, <laughs> my associate. Like, the moment they fucking walk into his office. He's just a fuck up, man. Yep. Yeah, he just wants this money so he can produce these movies. And like, I don't want to say he deserves what he gets because he gets beaten pretty savagely. But it's like you should have just kept your fucking mouth shut, man. And then I also love his scenes with Bette Midler. I think Bette Midler is absolutely fantastic in this movie as well. Great cameo in the movie, yeah, for sure. Yeah, really good cameo. It's really a shame. I know you already brought it up, but it's really a shame that the sequel to this exists. Because it's really, really bad. So basically, just they trade the movie industry for the music industry. And then they get a bunch of musicians who can't act to star in it. Uh, alongside a oh, horrible fucking Vince Vaughn. And a, a wasted The Rock. and a, a very gay stereotype character that is clear like The Rock's trying, but it's in the worst possible avenue. It's clearly just like him at the start of his acting career. Just like, Rock, you shouldn't be doing this. You're committing, but don't commit to this. This is terrible. Yeah, don't do this, buddy. <laughs> We're right. And, and, and the, the problem is just like that movie is so much more of like, oh, let's have a bunch of cameos and let's do this. That's not what this movie's about, really. It's not like so inside baseball. It's just about a genuine story about sort of making movies. And another thing where like, be cool is sort of like the average thing you get when like Hollywood makes a movie about sort of like Hollywood actual industry where it's just like so much more self-indulgent and stupid as opposed to this one it feels a lot more sort of like lower level grimy but in a way that really works like I love how pissed off Rene Russo is kind of throughout this whole movie and how over 
so many of these male egos she is, like, particularly in the scene with Danny DeVito, where she's like, oh, man, we should do another movie together, it'd be great, yeah, and she has these perfect looks of disgust, just like, ugh. God, I can't fucking handle these people. And she, it's a bummer that, like, not too long after this, she kind of disappears out of sort of, like, the major Hollywood roles, because she's so phenomenal in this movie. And her and Travolta have a great, weird chemistry that really mm-hmm. works. Oh, I agree. And I, I, you know, yes, her and Travolta have, do have a great chemistry, but I also think, really, anybody she bounces off in, she she really has a good chemistry with. Like, her and Hackman is really good. Her and DeVito's really good. Like, you could tell, like you said, she's just so over... His macho, you know, Hollywood actor bullshit. Like, it's just the scene where he's, you know, I want you to look at me how I'm looking at you. Like, I fucking own you. And the way Daniel Vio keeps doing those looks, it was like, what, are you sleepy? What are you trying to tell me? You're tired? (laughs) He he just keeps doing it. And it's basically almost the same fucking look every time. It's just so phony. But no, she's absolutely great in this, too. Which is even funnier when you realize the fact that DeVito was apparently Seinfeld's first choice to actually play Chili. Um, But he couldn't because he was, like, producing this movie and also directing Matilda at the same time. And a bunch of people originally considered for the Palmer character, like Michael Keaton, Bruce Willis, Robert De Niro, Al Pacino, and Dustin Hoffman. Michael Keaton, I could see. Right, right. Aside from Michael Keaton, I don't think any of the other actors would have had as much fun with this character as, like, a Travolta does. I think they would have sort of kept that ego thing that I'm talking about that Travolta ultimately kind of became a victim of after a certain point, as opposed to Travolta is willing to have, like, sort of giddy moments where he kind of almost fanboys out about certain things. Like, I love how seriously he treats when Rene Russo comes in at one point, and he's just like, oh my god, you know, you were so phenomenal, like, Bride of the Mutant, or whatever. <laughs> it's just like, when you talk to your son, <laughs> some bullshit movie, just like, when you said, you get away from my son, I really felt that. <laughs> he just appreciates acting in bullshit, schlocky movies, and it's really endearing during this whole movie that he just like has this much giddy love for even the smallest bullshit movies and maybe i think you hit something earlier but that's what sort of endears your character because also when he needs to take care of business holy fuck does he take care of business like there's no question that he's going to get the job done and he's going to get you know what he wants out of as well it's just it's a really really smart adaptation of a book i i've never read the book i i want to but Elmore Leonard is sort of meh for me, like on on the page. I don't mind his the films based on his books, most of them, anyways. But I mean, there are. I will say my issues with this movie are definitely kind of like unlike, say, a Jackie Brown, where sort of the convolutedness yeah. works for that movie perfectly. This one kind of mm-hmm. feels like it's convoluted, but in a way where it's almost a bit sort of winking and proud of itself for being as like convoluted, even though it's just like. It's a pretty simple plot when you really look at it, but it Mm -hmm. sort of, like, prides itself on kind of making it seem a bit more convoluted than it needs to be. We haven't talked much about Barry Sonnenfeld's direction in this, but I think the the sort of weird kind of madcap style to everything that's actually going on in terms of, like, the the shot construction and the editing of it, it feels very, like, very fast-paced in a way that makes you kind of, like, not care that much about the plot. Yeah, I mean, yeah, did he do the sequel? Did Sonnenfeld do Be Cool? No, that was F. Gary Gray future director uh, of Straight Outta Compton and much better films. And Friday, previously to that. Um, but but no, yes, Seinfeld at this point had actually only done the, the two Adams Family movies and then also some weird Michael J. Fox romantic comedy I'd never heard of. Uh, For Love or Money is what it's called. It stars oh, Michael J. Fox and Gabriel Anwar. Yeah. Yeah, I've seen that. 
but but yeah, he had uh, only done a few movies uh, before this. But you can tell sort of his work as the uh, Coen Brothers cinematographer really comes into play into this. Particularly all the great shots of sort of people walking around. Like I love all the shots in the airport and how specific they all feel. As like our uh, sort of uh, Patsy guys like looking around at the locker and going from side to side, the sort of crazy camera angles that don't feel too crazy um, and don't mm. feel too over edited, as we'll talk about in our next film. That's the least of the things we're going to talk about in the next. That, film. That's one of fifty thousand problems with that film. <laughs> Do you agree about Seinfeld's direction? Yeah, I think it's real slick. I think it's real, you know, sort of polished looking. It's got. It's just got the whole thing's got, you know, for lack of a better word, a cool sort of feel to it a cool demeanor to it it's nice bright when they're in you know hollywood and in, well now hollywood's a little bit dimmer but when he's in florida in the beginning it's nice and bright and there's you know a lot of pastel colors and yeah i, I really do yeah I, I think the direction here is absolutely fantastic and I, I really enjoy the cinematography and the set design or whatever you want to call it production design of the whole thing everybody feels natural everybody feels you know, like they should live in where they're living in the film or dressing how they're dressing and everything. None of it feels fake like the sequel does all of it. Barry Seinfeld hit it out of the park, if you ask me. I love how that airport feels like an actual, like, shitty airport. Like one that has uh-huh. been remodeled in a couple years. That's the thing is that, like, Hollywood, like, initially there's, like, sort of the glitz and glamour that's coming in when, like, Chili Palmer initially walks into it but then you just really see like in the set decoration and the details about just how like oh yeah this is all kind of a facade for how kind of like these people haven't really kept up with things like i love the look of gene hackman's office and how much it looks like an old school hollywood office but more importantly it has so much clutter like all the different posters or like the standees that are there and shit feels so authentic like somebody who saved up all these meager things that represent his career which look so schlocky and stupid <laughs> Yeah, right. It looks like uh, Eddie Valiant's fucking office. Exactly. Like like 40 years prior was Eddie Valiant's office, and now it's this. Exactly. (laughs) No, it feels lived in, and like this guy who was never as big as he thinks he might have been, and he's still holding on. This is my favorite of the Travolta films, for sure, for sure. And probably my favorite uh, Elmore... I don't know, Jackie Brown. Jackie Brown, though, I was going to say. Jackie Brown. As we've talked about previously, listen to our Quentin Tarantino episode. This Um, is my second favorite of the Elmore Leonard based films. Yes. Uh, Also, we haven't talked about much, but shout out to the whole David Pamer storyline, which is so great. The whole, like, I got a pitch for a movie, and he pitches the story of David Pamer faking his death. That's also so perfectly put together, where that feels definitely stylistically different. That feels the most sort of, like, early Coen Brothers, Barry Sonnenfeld. I, I, I love the construction of that, too, and how it feels even more, like, overly cinematic. Like, especially the shot of David Pamer asleep at the bar as the airplane just explodes <laughs> in the background. Just tr- all sorts of, like, tremendous little touches and stuff there, yeah. David Pamer's one of my favorite character actors as well. Of course. I absolutely love that guy. And another great one, uh, Martin Farrow, the Jurassic Park coupon day lawyer guy, uh, as John Travolta's friend. Oh, yeah, friend. that yeah. is him. Yeah, and even the guy who you're talking about, the quick-draw artist guy, is uh, John Grease, uh, Uncle Rico himself, the werewolf yep. from uh, Monster Squad, too. From... Yep, yep, yep. Well, I guess it's time we can uh, get into our final thoughts on our good film here, Get Shorty. Uh, Adam, go ahead. Uh, like I said, this is my favorite Travolta performance. Uh, I think he's absolutely fantastic in it. I love the supporting cast. I love the whole story. I love the look of the film. I love the score. I love everything about this movie. It's one of, it's not like in my top 10 favorite movies of all time, but it's one that if it's on, I will always, always watch. It is a perfect cable movie in every regard. Yeah. 
Get Shorty. Um, I was glad to actually finally see this. Um, there's a lot of affection for the grimy sort of lesser parts of Hollywood in here that I think is really fun to see in this particular package here. I think the whole cast is great. I do agree. It's one of John Travolta's stronger performances, I think, because he, once again, Barry Sonnenfeld, and we should mention that this was adapted uh, by Scott Frank uh, from the Elmore Leonard novel. They know how to use Travolta in the perfect way, in the way he should be used of somebody tough who lets his guard down a bit, kind of is a bit more charming in his own way. He gets to be a bit of a geek in his way about film. Fun little story. It goes a bit broad at certain points, better more for its own good, and the plot, like I said, is a bit more convoluted than it necessarily needs to be. Um, but at the same time, it's a lot of fun. Um, it's, don't watch the sequel. Um, no one's watching the Stars series, I guess, because it's Stars. But yeah, it, it's a, if you haven't seen it before, it's on Prime as we're recording this, so uh, check it out, for sure. But now uh, we got to transition to our next film, but first, so why don't you go ahead and listen to this ad for an ESO so you can queue up right after our show. Live from Chicken Town, this is the Flopcast, a podcast obsessed with comic books, Saturday morning cartoons, conventions, music, stuff from the 70s and 80s that nobody else remembers, and chickens. It'll be the silliest half hour of your week. You can find us at flopcast.net and on the ESO network. I'm the mayor of Chicken Town, and I approve this message. And now let's get into... Old dogs. Dad? Wow. Vicky? You haven't seen that woman in seven years. I really don't know where to start, Dan. Daddy! I have kids. Twins. <laughs> I'm gonna be an old dad. You're gonna be Uncle Charlie. <laughs> we can do this. We? You remind me of that old dude who stole my girlfriend. What are you saying? My beef is not with you, old woman. Thank you. So Old Dogs came out November 25th, 2009. It's a vehicle for both Travolta and Robin Williams, uh, who in this film play two incredibly successful sports marketers uh, who are very much uh, bachelors for life, as it were, except for uh, Robin Williams had previously been married a couple times, one of which was a very brief fling that ended in an annulment after a wild ride in... uh, Florida or Mexico? I can't even remember where it was. Um, there's a ridiculous montage at the beginning. I, th- I think it's Mexico. I think it's Mexico. Not sure. Point is, they have this wild ride, and then all of a sudden, uh, his former fling, played by Kelly Preston, who, of course, is John Travolta's wife in real life, uh, says, hey, I'm back. I'm going to jail for two weeks. And also, uh, you are the father of these two young children who come in to his life, and it's in the middle of a big business deal with Japan. And uh, that's the most I can say for a plot, um, because from here, Old Dogs turns into a horrible, garish carnival ride of madness that's not entertaining at all, and is only sort of, like, at all interesting and curious because... To quote another podcast that exists that I listened to, how did this get made? How the fuck did this movie become what it is? I'm so baffled. I'd heard, like, some things about this movie that's like, it's insane. Because if you see the trailers, you're just like, oh, it's going to be a generic kind of kids movie starring Robin Williams and John Travolta. Both had done bad movies in a similar vein to this. But this stands out in a unique, awful way that I'm just baffled at, like, how did any of this end up in a children's film? You know, it's such a soulless, paint-by-numbers sort of formula as well. Also filled with, you know, homophobia and racism. So that's good. Let's just throw that in there, too. But that's the thing, like, it's a formulaic setup, but all of the big set pieces are, like, 
bafflingly just like weird for a kid's movie at all. Right from the opening bit where it's like Robin Williams gets a super tan at John Travolta's insistence oh. in a really disturbing scene where like he almost gets like sprayed down to the floor of the weird shower for the tanning booth. Uh-huh. Um, that's pr- kind of upsetting. And then he ends up super tanned and all these Indian people come up to him and ask him about Old Navy and shit. How was, once again, a Disney-released children's film for Thanksgiving? <laughs> what? I, I know. And then you just get wasted cameos for no fucking reason. Well, Matt Dillon kind of sucks anyways. But Seth, Seth Green is, he's not that good either. Okay, so maybe they're not wasted cameos. Maybe this is uh, Justin Long. Fuck. Maybe this is exactly the movie that they all should be in. This is the movie they deserve. <laughs> Robin Williams was better than this. Oh, I mean, totally, especially better than that racist joke or the other racist joke where after he overdoses on the weird pills, he starts speaking in that way where, like, the R's and L's are replacing the weird racist stereotype style, which is like, oh my god, this is 2009? And we're doing this? No. <laughs> and they just totally went for it, too. Like, there was no, like, apprehension or anything. Like, oh, look, it's funny. No. And they do that no, annoying, no. awful thing where he does this in front of, like, the Japanese head of this particular company that they're trying to impress at this golf game, like, hitting people in the balls with freaking balls and shit like that. Literally, balls and balls. Um, and he's just like, oh, he has a dedication to the game. Impressive. We're definitely going to hire you guys. I always hate that shit. It's uh-huh. so annoying. We're just like, oh, they screw up, but that makes it even better. Like, that joke never really fucking works for me. And in this movie, you can tell that they're really trying to work on that kind of logic and also just the logic of, like, hmm, children are stupid. So we have to really emphasize on how wacky this all is with maybe one of the most oppressive scores in the movie I've ever heard. Just for how much is like, here's something wacky, here's something sad, here's all this. It's an overdrive to try and make any of this work for a children's audience. First of all, Robin Williams, way to go, by the way, for this woman you met seven years ago that you had a drunken fling with in, you know, Cancun or wherever the fuck you are, shows up. Oh, I'm going to jail, but hey, these are your kids. And you're just like, all right, cool. Like, nothing? You just accept that fact. I don't know that that's, that's, that would happen. Yeah, I buy it. I mean, clearly, obviously. <laughs> and, and by the way, fuck you for not telling me I have seven-year-old kids that are twins. Ever. Just now you're getting a hold of me because you're going to jail. Fuck you. And Travolta is just so... Oh, his wig. <laughs> this, movie, this movie's a prime example to me to where uh-huh. he's playing like the sort of stud. Where he's hitting on all the chicks and, you know, looking man, really cool, you know, really high-tech apartment. This is where I do a lot of, like, you know, banging on the drum. I throw three points in here. Like, oh, do you? Do you really? Take the wig off and release your fucking gut. Well, that's the thing also where, like, the Vandy really comes into play here in particular, where him and Robin Williams are only about, like, three years apart. Like, Robin Williams was only about three years older than Travolta. But you can tell so much that Travolta's trying to look as much younger as possible, despite the fact the movie's called fucking Old Dogs. Like, the whole point of the movie should be, like, embrace the fact that you're, like, around Robin Williams' age. Robin Williams looks just like Robin Williams in general. Well, he's looked the same for, like, ever. Well, that's true, yes, but he at least doesn't look like he's trying to hide his age like a Travolta, which is kind of, I guess, the character, but also feels like it was a mandate for a Travolta of, like, I have to look like the the studlier one who might be older, but he totally feels younger. He feels ten years younger than he really is. And that vanity makes his character so uninteresting and unlikable, and the only attempt they kind of make 
to have him be somewhat likable. It's like, oh, look, he has a dog, an old dog he's loved forever. And then that dog dies. And then he has a dog funeral? Where people bring their dogs to the dog funeral? That a lot of people come to. That dog touched so many lives, apparently. Apparently. What the fuck is going on? And then you get a completely wasted Bernie Mac in this horrible scene of Robin Williams in like a robot suit. I mean, it lasts forever. And it was Bernie Mac's last performance in a movie, which is really sad. Oh, oh no. See, I didn't know that. This is what killed him. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> so the setup for this, by the way, is that there's just a certain point where Robin Williams is like, oh, man, I know how to play with my kids. I'll show you how. I'll get Bernie Mac, who plays like a host of a puppet show thing where he plays like Parliament Funkadelic music. I have no idea what this show is and why any child would like it when no. they have a brief clip of it. And then he's just like, hmm, how can I help you out? Oh, I'll make you into a human toy? Which is like, he apparently puts fucking, like, motion capture things on Robin Williams and turns him into, like, a puppet he can control by a computer as he's having tea time with his daughter. Yeah. What? What fucking logic is this? Because, like, that's the thing. Oh, we're describing all these things, by the way. This is, like, a not even 90-minute long movie. No, and there's so much more. There's jetpacks and gorillas and karaoke's. And, we mean, haven't talked just... about, like, the opposite side of the drug thing, where John Travolta has this garish, awful nightmare smile after he's, like, twitching around. It looks like he's having a stroke. The face twitch thing was kind of funny. Give me a giggle. Because I wasn't expecting it. Wouldn't it, her fucking ass in prison now? And that what's oh yes, Lori Loughlin. Yes, his love yeah, interest is Lori Loughlin, yeah. <laughs> currently on right. trial for the the bribing scandal with her daughter in college, uh, Lori Loughlin. Meanwhile, Travolta, the CGI they use is kind of on point with like the Mario sixty four opening screen, where you like make his ar- his eyelids move around. Instantly, a second later, I'm like, all right, this can stop. <laughs> yeah, but, but and then they keep this. going with it. Where like they're at this bereavement counseling group for for whatever reason and like and john travolta like everyone's crying and john travolta has this garish joker smile like he looks like he's just sucked up a lot of joker toxin thank god they end the movie with not just like like everybody gets the wrong pills including a small infant child and the other kids and that's like the ending shot is like this weird like creepy pasta like this is the last thing you see before you die thing (laughs) that's like so horrific but like that's the thing is this movie is just constant weird thing that doesn't make any sense and these odd comedic set pieces that are just like i'm just baffled anybody paid to like let this happen how does this happen (laughs) it's got a fucking country bear sort of thing about it to me where that movie was so fucking weird and bizarre it should not exist, but at least Country Bears was based on a fucking ride. Right. This is just, who greenlit this? Who at Disney was like, yeah, that'll work. Oh, hey, Wild Hogs was kind of a success. Let's do another one called Old Dogs. Right, but Wild Hogs leaned into more like a PG-13, I think it's even R-rated kind of spectrum with that. Yeah, it, it kind of it gets there. It's PG, PG-13, one of the two. Uh but Wild Hogs, I, believe it or not, I actually find it kind of funny. There are some funny parts to it. Like, William H. Macy kills me in that movie. Mm-hmm. And, and Ray Liotta is awesome. You know? mm-hmm. But there's nothing in this for anybody. Like, my kid, no interest, got up and walked off like 20 minutes in. I couldn't show this to anybody and expect them to get any enjoyment out of it. Not even in a so bad it's good way. It's just, it's perplexing 
like why yes. this exists. It is consistently perplexing, and I think I found mm-hmm. out exactly why. Because there's some trivia in here that is dubious. It was IMDb. I'm not sure because I tried to do research on it. That apparently this is meant to be more of like a Wild Hogs, where it's like PG-13, almost R kind of rated initially. And bad test screenings made, like, Disney say, okay, we're not going to release it through Touchstone, we're going to release it through Disney, and you're going to cut, like, 20 minutes out of it. I don't know how true Mm. that story is necessarily, but it feels like, even if it's not true, it feels like somebody kind of had to come up with this as some kind of explanation for, like, why this happened. It feels like it's some kind of rationale for, like, how the fuck this happened. And I found out the director of this film, Walt Becker, has a weird career that he directed Wild Hogs before this, but also Van Wilder was sort of like his big debut, uh, which is a terrible movie, but it's sort of the weird evolution from like Van Wilder, which is gross, very Animal House-esque comedy, uh, and also Buying the Cow was his first film. Uh, It's a very small film with Jerry O'Connell and Ryan Reynolds. Kind of both are like more R-rated. Then Wild Hogs is kind of that PG-13 where it's skating the lines. Then Old Dogs is PG. Then he directs the fourth Alvin and the Chipmunks film. Wait, 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 wait. Wait, yes. there's four of those? There's four of those. And in the clip I've seen of Alvin and the Chipmunks, the road ship is Alvin meeting John Waters. That's what the kids are into, John Waters. But especially, he says, oh, I know who you are, you're pretty weird, I've seen Pink Flamingos. What the fuck? Why is Alvin Chipmunk watching Pink Flamingos? What? What even scares me more out is that his next film is Clifford the Big Red Dog. I didn't... Is that happening? That's happening. Like, yes. Oh no. What's he gonna do to Clifford? What's Everyone's he gonna favorite do? big red dog. I, I I don't. I didn't. What? <laughs> <laughs> this guy is ridiculous. Like, I know. <laughs> That's what this movie does to people, folks. This is what it's doing to us. It's making us go mad. Like, it is. It's like a bad acid trip. Because, well, A, you don't give a fuck about anybody in this movie. I did not give two no. shits about anybody, including the kids. Right. They're so one-note kids, you know, kid characters. Like, you know, this is my list of things I want to do with my daddy. And then you don't see him again. And then, oh, you promised me. You're not even trying. Right. One of which is the daughter of John Travolta. Ella Travolta. Oh, I didn't know that. Yes. Jesus Christ, so he just put his whole fucking family in this movie. Basically. Great. And, and, the, the, and the, the other one's the kid from Walk Hard, isn't Yes, it? he's young Dewey Cox, I was about to yes, say. Yes, I thought. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This could have used the machete fight, and it would have felt out of place, weirdly, in this movie. It wouldn't have. That's very true. The penguin scene, the, the, what the fuck were they, I don't understand what they were going for here. It's not wholesome, it's not family friendly, it's not even funny it's not dramatic it's nothing you don't give a fuck dude i mean i literally could not give any less of a fuck for this entire movie entire all the characters this is just pure fucking shit and now not only you know is kelly preston and it was obviously travolta's wife which i think you mentioned but also his daughter now it's like the worst of the worst for me not only is this this fucker but his ego is on screen threefold Gotta give my wife. She's so hot. Look how beautiful my daughter is. Oh, like, uh, there's no question that it was. If Travolta's gonna be in it, the Kelly Preston and his daughter has to be in it too. No question. Fuck, fucking guy. (laughs) You can at least admit, though, with this, Adam, you're probably never bored, right? Because you're just fascinated as this keeps fucking going down weird avenues that you can't imagine any movie would ever. Down. I I did find myself bored in places because there is a lot of fucking cookie cutter, 
you know, family comedy nonsense in between the random insanity. So literally the insanity stuff. No, I'm like watching it going, what the fuck is happening? <laughs> the random bullshit, like it, it, this, the cookie cutter stereotypical, you know, you promised you tried or them at the baseball game or whatever, even the, the, the golf game after the, you know, the horrible, horrible anti-Asian stuff. But like the nut shots, I'm like, okay. Anything with Seth Green, I'm like, all right. Yeah, him at the like, weird karaoke thing yeah, when he goes to Japan. Him but I mean, with the gorilla. But yeah, that's like, the thing. Okay. It's just like there are these definite perks where it just feels like Walt Becker is contractually obligated to like do something that feels like it would be in a sincere family movie. Fine, but then can we get to the garish nightmare imagery I want to put onto the film? Because that's where it feels just like. St- so much of it is spliced in here. Like, we didn't even mention Rita Wilson's weird character, where she plays a hand model who's a friend of Kelly Preston's, and her eyes are always crossed? Why? I don't yeah, know. Yeah, isn't she Tom Hanks's wife? Yes, she is Tom Hanks's wife, Rita Wilson. She needs the money? I, I don't I, I don't know. Maybe she's friends with John Travolta. Who knows? Like, and there's this whole scene where, like, she's supposed to take care of the kids initially when they go to jail. Oh, my, I can't wait to have this big hand modeling gig. And then Robin Williams accidentally hits her hand, closes it into the car trunk, and Big yeah. Girls Don't Cry starts playing as she's, like, screaming terribly. Yeah, as he shattered her hands, her livelihood. Yeah. Her livelihood, and it's this, like, big, hilarious comedic thing. It's all the humor is so very mean-spirited in a weird mm-hmm. fucking way. They call out that she has a wonky eye, like, three times. Yeah. Yeah, well, at least she's a hand model. Hey! And there's the homophobia you mentioned with Matt Dillon's character when they're at the scout troop thing. Uh-huh. The weird recurring characters of Luis Guzman and Dax Shepard is like, the baby proofers who keep coming uh. in. Who, we, we never talked about Dax Shepard on the show, I hope we don't. Because um, as no, much yeah, as you yeah. have, like, a sort of John Travolta thing, I have a real anti-Dax Shepard thing. I fucking hate that dude. I fucking hate seeing that dude. <laughs> I'm good with never talking about him on the show, so don't have, don't worry. I, I'm not a fan of Dax Shepard. And, and the fact that someone as talented as like a Kristen Bell is like yeah. married and just like so in love with that guy. I mean, whatever. Talk about someone who thinks they're fucking rad. Dax oh, yeah. Shepard thinks he is so fucking rad. He thinks he's the raddest dude possible. <laughs> oh, yes. God. Um, but, I mean, that's the weird thing. It's like, we've been talking about this movie for a while, but there's still so much surface we haven't scratched. You mentioned the gorilla thing. There's this whole sequence where they yeah. break into the zoo, and a giant gorilla starts attacking them, and it's Tom Woodruff in a suit. By the way, not a bad suit. Not a bad no, gorilla suit. No, that's true. It looks pretty good. But then he's holding Seth Green like a baby, and he's singing I'm All Out of Love. For like, whatever reason. Whatever fucking reason. There's no point to end... It's just a series of random nightmare fuel fucking scenarios strung together in a film with a very flimsy, stereotypical paint-by-numbers plot. And Travolta, like I said, just his fucking ego on screen here. Well, not only, uh, like we said, his wife and kid are in it, but he's the hot one. He's the one who, like, the girls will still smile at and invite him out. And, you know, he's got all this money and he's so good-looking. And, and not to and, mention how much of the opening montage... Uh, that said to a Brian uh-huh. Adams original. Uh-huh. Another <laughs> chink in the armor for this film. Now, now, the Canadian government has apologized for Brian Adams on several occasions. <laughs> and that's that second one of this movie that starts. Um, and <laughs> how much, like, but it has all these old photos of, like, oh, look, here's John Travolta in total, like, Carrie, Welcome Back, mm-hmm. Cotter era. Like, look how feathered and awesome I am. And the Robin Williams awkwardly inserted into every photo. Um, and uh. it's, just, it's just a snapshot of, like, look how young and beautiful and hot I've always been. Yeah, look at Mark over here. <laughs> Including in one shot where um, it's from the set of Carrie, 
And Nancy Allen is photoed out in favor of Robin Williams. <sighs> okay, I think we've talked enough except for our final thoughts here. So, Adam, your final thoughts, especially how does this rank in sort of the pantheon of terrible Travolta for you? I don't know. I see. I haven't watched a lot of the straight to DVD ones he's done. I gotta imagine they're all terrible. Uh, but as far as the ones that I've seen, this is this is definitely near the bottom. Uh, is it the worst? I, I'm not sure. I, I I really fucking hate Swordfish, but this is down there. I mean, he's awful in it, and it's just a it's a pure fucking ego fluff for him. This whole fucking movie, and you know, just Robin Williams in full pilot mode was oh yeah, way better than this. Way better than this. This was a fucking paycheck roll. Yeah. It had to have been. There's no other excuse because he's just – he's not even trying. He's not even being charming or funny, Robin Williams. It's just – And it's really sad. This is like sort of the last five years of his career, too. Uh, I know. It's a bummer this came out the same year as I think maybe his best performance in the movie, one of my favorites, very underrated, World's Greatest Dad. Tremendous movie that he's phenomenal in. That's a way better movie about, like, the darker sides of parenting. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's yeah. a very, very good movie. But anyway, you were, your final thoughts. I'm sorry for interrupting you. No, no, you're totally fine. This is just Travolta at his fucking most egoist. Look at me. I'm so fucking handsome and cool on screen. I mean, that's completely what it is. And it's completely wasted and underutilized Robin Williams. But to be honest, even if he was on, it wouldn't have made the movie any better because the source material is pure wacky shit. It's just a garbage movie. It's insane. It makes no sense. As, as to why some of these scenes are in this sort of supposedly family movie. It's mean-spirited. It's, like I said, there's homophobic things, there's racial things, there's... It's just it's just a bad, bad film. Yes, I echo all of those things, which is to say, it probably isn't one of the worst we've done for the show, but it's the most baffling one we've probably done for the show, in terms of how this could have possibly been a thing. Like, if you showed me scenes in this movie out of context, I'm like, is this, like, from a movie within a movie that's a bad movie. Like, characters are watching a bad movie on TV, and it's like, this is the movie. It feels like any of, like, in Funny People, the bad Adam Sandler movies, they invent for that particular movie, amongst other things. It just feels like this is too broad and silly to be any kind of real movie. But it is. It's a real movie. Came out, made $97 million at the box office in 2009. Disney slapped their logo on it, their name, and they paid the $35 million to make it. It's it's such a weird artifact that it's just like a very low point for anybody in the movie. Uh, we didn't even mention another weird cameo in this movie. And margaret Why? Yeah, what the fuck is the point of that? <laughs> to beat him with a rhubarb pile over his face. Right, in this weird bereavement scene where she's like, one of our members died 12 hours ago and she spent her last hours making all of this food that Travolta eats because he has this weird, like, munchies because of the pills he's taken? They don't even get the drugs right. Right, right. We, we, we've tried to mention, like, all the weird things in this movie, but we can't even, like, mention every single weird detail that makes this, like, a detestable movie. But in this way that's just, like, constantly fascinating about, like, if you were to watch this as sort of, like, a mortician of, like, a body that's come in horribly mangled, that's what this movie is. It's just like, how did this yeah. happen? I, you almost want to investigate what the fuck is this? How did this become a thing? And you can, if you want to, it's on Disney+. Plus. Yeah, you'll watch Toy Story 4 and then this. Exactly, yes. Perfect family double feature for all of you. Um, it's it's baffling. It's, it's the weirdest train wreck of a movie you may have ever covered. 
But I'd argue not necessarily the worst Travolta movie either, um, because there's the Fanatic and Battlefield Earth, you know, pretty bad ones. But uh, that is the end of our double feature for the evening, and uh, we have some feedback to read, because every uh, Monday on at DEDBPOP, which is our Facebook and Twitter group, we ask all of you about, like, hey, what are your favorite and least favorite things related to whatever topic we're doing? And uh, under John Travolta, obviously, we have some people here who uh, are going to share their thoughts to us, and uh, we'll read them right here on the show. So, uh, first off, uh, former guest Christian Alvarez says, For an actor with such drastic highs and lows throughout his career, it's really difficult to narrow down his best and worst work. Uh, For his best work, my top three films of his are Grease, Blowout, and Pulp Fiction. Uh, Bottom three for me are easily Look Who's Talking Now, Battlefield Earth, and Motherfucking Gotti. Uh, James Rodriguez says, "Um, An episode about Adam's cinematic idol, brilliant, Pulp Fiction and (laughs) Face-Off... Pulp Fiction and Face Off are my favorites of his work, uh, while I also like Bolt. While it's not a film, I'm also a big fan of The People vs. O.J. Simpson, American Crime Story. Uh, as for worst, uh, double-edged double-bill faves, Battlefield Earth and the Fanatic, but I also want to mention Gotti and Wild Hogs. Um, and then Jonathan Happened to Mikhail, um, at Black underscore Gendo, a.k.a. for at least the time being Barry Barrington, uh, says, My last tweet is Barry for Adam's favorite actor. Good. Face Off. Bad. Gotti. Galaxy Brain, Austin Pussy, the gold member movie within a movie. Remember when we uh, did that, Adam? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> I agree with most of the things on the list and disagree with some even. Face Off, he's so fucking just awful and over the top. And I, I, I just, I want to like that movie a lot more than I can. Because not only is it him, but then it's Nicolas Cage also pulling the same fucking thing. Well, I mean, Nicolas Cage does that at the opening of the movie when he's playing the actual Nicolas Cage character. He goes more into, like, sort of bored Cage as, like, That's Travolta. Um, as opposed to... I, I actually... I really dig Face Off a lot. And I think that has my favorite line reading of Travolta's when he's interrogating Nicolas Cage. Is it the, ooh-wee, you're good-looking? Yeah, you good looking. Like I love that. Yeah. Um, I really dig that, especially because it's the only good John Woo American movie. I would say. Oh yeah, without a doubt. What was the one that uh, fucking um, Travolta was on? Broken Arrow. Yep. Broken Arrow. Yep. And but hard target was Van Damme. That was a John Woo flick. Right, right. And then uh, he did Mission Impossible Two, which is Ugh. easily <laughs> oh god, Jesus, by a country mile, the worst one of that well, series. Yeah. Oh, yes. without a shadow of a doubt. But I mean, like some of these other things, I do agree with people versus O.J. Simpson. I think he's phenomenal in that. I think it's also kind of something you were talking about with Git Shorty. He also works a lot better when he's sort of like a supporting character in a big ensemble cast. Like in mm-hmm. that. Or I would argue, I recently rewatched actually because it's on Netflix while we're, as we're recording, uh, Hairspray, which I've talked about before. I think he's a lot of fun in that, mainly because he sort of is just like one of a huge sprawling cast that's there. I think really works well off like, you know, Nikki Blonsky is the main role, or Christopher Walken as his uh, husband. It, he works so much better as one piece of a larger sort of sprawling cast. Yeah, I wasn't a huge fan of Hairspray, simply because, you know, obviously it's a musical and everything. Right. Uh, I, I will give him credit for the guts to to play that sort of role, especially at this stage in his career. But he looked like fucking nightmare fuel to me in that suit. The makeup wasn't great, but at the same time, it also showed off something we didn't talk about much. He still can really dance at that time. Yeah, that's another thing he fucking thinks he's super the best at. This fucking clown shoe. <laughs> this, this guy released a record. Forgot to use an album. I prefer Hairspray over Grease, which I talked last week. My sisters loved Grease and wouldn't stop fucking playing it. They love oh, that fucking love. movie so much. And I just think there's really catchy songs in it. 
Um, but at the same time, it's, like, a pretty, like, lackadaisical plot that goes on for a while. There's a whole abortion subplot that really doesn't age well. And they even crucified <laughs> that shit. That really doesn't work. Um, and John Travolta also has probably his worst singing in any movie for that one weird number at the drive-in. Yeah. That's just, like, him on his own. It's terrible. It's such a bad number. Um, but I will say, I have seen something else recently that I'd heard he was really good in, because I was like, what's, like, a good John Travolta role in the last, like, ten years or so? And I heard a lot of good things about, um, the In a Valley of Violence, the Thai West Western, where he plays the villain, um, against Ethan Hawke as the hero. And the premise is that Ethan Hawke plays this, like, sort of, you know, typical wandering Mm -hmm. man-with-no-name type, goes into the small town where John Travolta's the sheriff, James Ransone, who you might recognize from... Uh, the Sinister movies and It Chapter Two, as of recent, mm-hmm. um, and he's like this you know spoiled brat gunslinger who messes with Ethan Hawke and his dog, and Ethan Hawke is out for revenge, and John Travolta plays the sheriff as someone who he has a wooden leg from actually fighting in like the um, in the Civil War and stuff, and I like the fact that he kind of plays it as somebody who doesn't want to actually have any conflict because he knows he has a clear weakness, but he has this mm-hmm. pure intimidation whenever he's around Hawke. That really works. The two of them bounce off each other really well. It's not a great movie. I have a lot of issues with like how Ty West sure. makes it. It's Ty West. Yeah, I, I, I think he's kind of overrated Tyler. as a director. Are I like you kidding the... me? Of course he is. I like House of the Devil. I love Innkeepers. Innkeepers is his best example of his slow burn style. I think Innkeepers is absolutely the best. I would recommend if you want a good later era Travolta. This is 2016. That is one of his better performances. I'll try it. Why not? I like a good one. I like westerns, so I'm, I'm gonna hate it, but I'll try it. <laughs> um, also, no one talks about this movie, but um, the long-forgotten Saturday Night Fever sequel, "Staying Alive." Oh, oh god! Which yeah. is so fascinating, and was Sylvester Stallone's directorial debut. <laughs> <laughs> it's such a fucking misstep, especially because Saturday Night Fever. It's weird. I only knew that movie so long because of the parodies, obviously. Or, like, an airplane and all these other things, where it's just, like, it's so overdone and parodied. Um, and I've even seen, at least, the the weird thing where, like, that movie was R-rated and is very, very, sort of, like, dark in terms of its actual story. Mm-hmm. Um, but then they made, like, a PG version because it made so much money and they wanted more money from kids that had mostly just, like, the dancing sequences. And they put right, that right. in theaters. For a while, that's what I had seen. Because obviously my sisters were like, oh my god, we love Grease. Let's watch, like, essentially the theatrical TV edit for fucking Saturday Night Fever. And then I watched, like, the actual version. I'm like, oh my god, there's, like, attempted rape and sexual assault and, like, really dark themes throughout this whole movie. I think it's okay. it's a very good movie when you actually watch it for, like, what it is. And I think Travolta works tremendously in that because he's sort of, like, a lost youth who, like, he dances this way because it's the only thing he has in his life. He's such a nobody. But, like, the dance floor is the only place where he works. I think that's another great example of what I was talking about earlier, where, like, it's the, like, this guy who's, like, oh, my God, he's out on the dance floor striding around. There's a real darkness inherent to him if you actually, like, look into his sad, miserable little life. That makes a really interesting character study. Yeah, but then you got, you know, his his boner aerobics in Perfect with Jamie Lee Curtis, <laughs> which is so fucking gross. <laughs> it's so gross. Like, he's clearly got a hard on in his little gray sweatpants shorts. He's all sweaty. Oh, I was going to say, put your goddamn dick away. Travolta, <laughs> just leave your dick in your pants, please, for the love of God, for everyone. Just leave, put your dick away. Nobody wants to see that dirty little thing. Oh, oh fucking hell. 
end up briefly in the middle of these Travolta rantings. I do want to mention Rafe Telch's little feedback, another previous guest uh, at Talness, uh, uh, sharing our last episode, where he said, uh, this is the third podcast on my playlist in two weeks to discuss The Apartment. Why is this brilliant Billy Wilder movie suddenly so strong and back in the cultural zeitgeist? Uh, you know, I don't know. Is it because it's on Prime and it's because of Valentine's Day coming up? I mean, I'm guessing, right? Well, well it was coming up at the time. Now it's this yeah. past, obviously, as you're listening to this. I'm guessing that's why, right? There's people probably looked up like the greatest romance movies of all time, and it's it's got to be on there. So that's probably why. Yeah, it helps that it's a very acclaimed and highly prolific film from a Billy Wilder. I didn't mention this in terms of Billy Wilder's filmography, but one just to recommend, especially considering the recent passing of uh, Kirk Douglas, Hollywood legend. Um, oh, yeah. A very underrated movie in his filmography called Ace in the Hole, which is a movie where Kirk Douglas plays, like, a very opportunistic newspaper reporter who finds it about, like, a bunch of miners who are, like, stuck in this mine shaft, and, like, it becomes a big media sensation, and then he starts to totally, like, get these miners further lost inside of this mine in order to generate more of a story. It's Ooh. a tremendous movie that I would definitely recommend to anybody out there, especially if you're like, oh, Kirk Douglas died, I want to see more of his movies. I would argue maybe my favorite performances of his. I'll have to check that one out. I don't I don't think I've ever seen that one. It was one that was very buried at the time it came out in the 50s, uh, but then sure. it's gotten a bit more cultural appreciation. It's on the Criterion Collection. Well. <laughs> and by the way, for someone who's so fucking hip and on algorithms on his own show. You couldn't fucking figure that out for yourself because it's Valentine's Day, Rafe? Come on. <laughs> Mr. I did Princess Bride for our Valentine's Day episode. Why is that one in the pop culture zeitgeist? <laughs> oh, man, this is crazy. Look it up. Better call detective. <laughs> but listen, I have not seen this. It's a great show with Rafe. Great show. Great show. By the way, um, if Mr. Travolta or his lawyers are listening, I share none of the opinions of Mr. Adam Thomas about you in uh, particular oh. as a person whatsoever. Please, please contact me. I will tell you right to your face. Fuck you. <laughs> like, I don't care. I hate this man. I, like, legitimately hate. And I really have no reason for it. I could just not watch his movies. But I, I fucking hate him. I hate him. Fuck him. I hate his smug face, his fucking ego. Oh, you can dance. Oh, great. Take off the fucking wig. Like, stop, just be bald. You know, he shaved his head from, from Paris with love, and then recently at some, like, art gallery thing, looked a lot better. Looked his age. Be, uh, you know, act appropriate, for God's sakes. Stop trying to kiss people. Stop it. Stop it. Keep your fucking greasy lips and dirty chin off people. Just stop being you. <laughs> just stop it. Fuck you, man. I, oh, God, Thomas. Rage. Building. That's why I let you go off, yeah. Just, I just love also that in all that thing you didn't even mention once, like, Scientology or anything else. because I don't really care. I don't really care about the religious thing. Like, do you? Do You know, if you want to be a Scientologist, I don't give a fuck. Just don't ask me to join your weird-ass alien cult, whatever the fuck it is. You know, I do have Thetans, and they're very mad at you. They're because of you. My Thetans are because of Travolta. If I can, I'm not going to hold on to some little silly rod to get rid of them. I'm just going to punch Travolta in his fucking chin if I see him. And I guarantee you, hit him in the chin, he's going down. He's like glass, glass jaw, whatever the fuck, and punch out. He's like the second villain of punch out. One hit, shot to the face, he's going down. Fuck him. Somebody do it. Prove me right. Prove me right. Get Fred Durst to do it. So Fred Durst can go to prison at the same time. Have him make another movie. You fuck. Got all you. Oh, you. Oh. Thanks for the feedback, everyone. <laughs> yes, thank you for the feedback. <laughs> 
And also thanks to Chris Oliver for the intro and outro music used for our show. Listen to more of his music at chrisoliver.bandcamp.com. Thanks to Emily Scarter for the art for our show. Um, and uh, you can find us on Twitter and Facebook at DEDBpod, uh, where we post those feelers about uh, asking about your thoughts on the feedback. And uh, you can also email us at uh, doubleagedoublebill at gmail.com, all spelled out. Um, you can find me on my own individual account at NotTheWhoisTommy on Twitter and Instagram. I also do some writing at uh, MarianiThomas.wordpress.com for like film reviews and such. And I also do tr- uh, satirical superhero news at TrueSuperheroFans.com. And uh, you can find Adam apparently trying to like get onto John Travolta's actual palatial estate to do God knows what. <laughs> apparently I'm going to be in a fucking civil suit soon. Like, whatever. I don't care. That's fine. I, I don't care if I even lose. Like, he has a place in Florida. I'm sure I'll just see you like, oh, my God, Adam, how are you doing? And just like, you're going to immediately not even look at me. <laughs> no, I'm just going to go straight to his house. I'm going to go straight. If I can fucking get around his goddamn jets that he owns, <laughs> the fucking, oh, of course he does. Of course he has his own planes and just a certified pilot. This fucking, could you imagine him doing the goddamn pilot thing on the airplane? Oh, uh, everybody, uh, go ahead and look out your window. Uh, it's gonna be real cold. Uh, movie for the day is Daddy Daycare. <laughs> like, get the fuck. Oh, oh my god. Okay, all right. For for more great raging like that, you can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, YouTube, Spotify, Stitcher, any of the other podcasting platforms. I hope John Travolta has none of these platforms he's accessible to. Um, and if you're listening on ESO, uh, who I'm sure love the content here, why not dig into the archives for our first several episodes where Adam doesn't threaten people, um, and you can rate, review, or share us around to give the show more visibility. Uh, well, now, Adam, we have to, for the love of God, do our picking about um, not these theoretical monsters of a Travolta you're referring to, um, but of the old-school, classic, universal monsters. Yes, because uh, we're going to get, I guess, a new attempt at the Dark Universe with uh, the new Invisible Man starring Elizabeth Moss, uh, a bit more downscale than a mummy. How do you feel about that? Um, Well, I'll say from the trailer, one, I hate that the trailer looks like it's revealed the whole movie, um, and that's why I try and avoid it when I go to the theater. Uh, But two, despite that, I like the idea of making it a very much more down-to-earth sort of like character-focused sort of like horror thriller kind of thing. I think that's the smartest way to do that. I hope it's good. Like, I really do. I have a lot of hopes for it. Like, I love, you know, Leonel's upgrade, and Elizabeth Moss is a really good actress. So, I mean, we'll see. And if, uh, uh, and in general, Adam, are you a fan of the, the Universal Monsters? Oh, I mean, of course. Absolutely. I mean, the Universal Monsters, were they my first sort of glimpse of horror films? No, but I definitely came to find them, and really really love and appreciate them i mean before i even knew what a horror movie was you know i knew what frankenstein was i've seen you've seen the picture you know you've seen the karloff frankenstein you've seen lugosi as dracula just it was everywhere and uh yeah i absolutely in love with the universal monsters i mean they're just they're iconic you know if you're consider yourself any kind of genre fan you know be it a horror genre or even you know sci-fi or gothic films, then you have to at least have an appreciation for the Universal Monsters. Definitely, definitely. I remember, uh, we'll probably talk about this more, but uh, I watched a lot of those thanks to TCM, uh, especially Mm -hmm. thanks to Robert Osborne, R.I.P., who introduced me to a lot of these classic movies in general, but especially the Universal Monsters, and I have such an affection for all those movies, but 
uh, we are going to be picking both a good and a bad feature, because I have the two good picks, you have the two bad picks, Adam. And so if you're new, basically I have assigned a number between 1 and 10 for both of my picks, same for you, and the opposite person will pick a number between 1 and 10, and whichever one that goes closest to of the other person's picks ends up with our good and bad feature. And something to keep in mind that this isn't exclusive just the original, like, 30s to, you know, 50s era Universal Monster movies. Mm. We open this up to any of the sort of weird reboots that Universal has also done. Yeah, anything Universal that has, right, Dracula or the Wolfman. Frankenstein, Invisible Man, Mummy. Yeah, right, anything. It's all-encompassing. Yes, yes it is. And uh, now, Adam, for my two good picks, number two and one and ten. I will go with number nine. Okay, at number seven... I have just not only my favorite of these movies, but maybe one of my favorite movies just all time, for sure. It is the James Whale classic sequel, Bride of Frankenstein. Ah, oh, man, that's one of the greatest movies ever made. Yeah. I absolutely love that fucking movie. To me, that is that is the standard as far as gothic moody film. I yes. love that movie. It's also just campy as fuck at the same time. Yeah, it's so great. But, yeah, it's, yeah, well, it's great. It's, and your other? My other choice, another James Whale feature, uh, but not a Frankenstein. Um, I had at number three, The Invisible Man, the original. Also a great one. Yes. It's really good. I'm glad we got Bride, but I like The Invisible Man as well. Uh, well you ready? Yes. <laughs> so, for your two bad picks, Adam, I'm going to go with number... Okay, at number two, I have, which I I think is sort of a a personal problem for you, I have uh, 2017's The Mummy with Tom Cruise. Oh, God. If you listen to our Best and Worst of the Decade episode. It's your least favorite film of the decade. Of the entire 10-year span of the 2010s, (laughs) yes. The last attempt to make the dark universe, yes, we're... Yeah, I'll be doing that. I, I figured as much. All right, what was your alternate choice? The Ghost of Frankenstein. That's the fourth a, one, right? The, the, yes, it's the fourth one. It's fucking terrible. Yeah, I've only seen it's up to Son terrible. of Frankenstein, which is fine. Yeah, fine. It's Ghost fine. of Frankenstein's really bad. The makeup's really bad. Everything's bad. All right, all right. Well, Adam, there'll be a very spooky double feature. You know, uh, oh my god, I'm so scared. Oh, no, I shit my pants. <laughs> Good night, everybody. Bye, fuck Travolta. It's so weird. It's so weird. has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping through Amazon.com or the Tee Public Store, which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek.